Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the marvelous, infinite, matchless grace of God. The grace that is greater than all of our sin. That where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And we thank you tonight that we can bring the message to a lost world that it is by grace that we're saved, through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. We pray that you would help us tonight as we look into your word to teach us from it as only you can and to Help us to see something from it tonight that will encourage us along the way and be a help to us as we try to live for you in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, tonight we're continuing in Galatians chapter 3 as Paul defends and proves the gospel of grace. We've just singing about it. And he refutes any notion, any idea that salvation is by the works of the law. He continues this message in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The condition of salvation by the works of the law is perfect and complete and continual obedience to it. And if we can't do that, and we can't, then we're under the curse of the law. And that brings us to the conclusion in verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law. In the sight of God, it is evident. Evident. Notice that word. Paul says it's clear. It is manifest, it is certain that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. And let's think about that the evidence for just a minute. And the evidence is ourselves. It's our own heart. Mark chapter 7 is a passage of scripture that we look at talk about quite often in this church because it's the explanation by God himself 
of what it means when we read in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 that we have a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And something that strikes me is that in Mark 7 and verse 21, the first thing that the Lord Jesus says that comes out of our deceitful and wicked hearts that defile us is evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. And evil thoughts are not just something that um, come along now and then. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we read these words. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Continually. Now remember what we said just a moment ago. The condition of salvation by the works of the law is perfect and complete and continual obedience. And here's the Lord telling us that every imagination of the thoughts of our heart is only evil continually. If you look that word continually up, you find that it covers a variety, well, it, it covers every period of time. And one of the meanings of this word is very instructive. It means lifetime, lifetime. Every imagination of the thoughts of our heart is only evil for our lifetime. It will never get better. It'll never get better. Every imagination of the thoughts of our heart is only evil continually. Now you combine that with Proverbs 23 and verse 7. Mr. Creech says so often and so correctly, follow the logic. Follow the logic. The Lord says, come now and let us reason together. And so that's what we're trying to do. Reason. Let him reason with us. Let him hear the case. Let him present the case. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And how do we think in our hearts? Well, we just read it. Every imagination of the thoughts of our heart is only evil continually. In Matthew chapter 22, a Pharisee, a lawyer, came to the Lord Jesus and he asked the Lord this question. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And in Matthew 22 and verse 37, the Lord Jesus gives him the great commandment in the law. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Now again, follow the logic. Folks, we break this law in our minds continually. Every imagination of the thoughts of our heart is only evil continually. 
before we ever do any of the things that are listed in Mark 7, 21 and 22. Before we ever commit adultery or fornication or murder or steal or covet or do any of these things. We break this law, this great law in our minds continually. We break this law by what we are, what we are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And our heart, the thoughts of our heart, are only evil. Are only evil. We are evil. People don't like to hear that. But we are. And so Paul says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. And we just talked about the irrefutable evidence. 1 John 3 and verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So we're sinners, and we're under the curse of the law by what we are, by what we are, before we do anything. People always want to talk about, I've never done, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. I've never done. And they think that they're okay. And they never stop and think about what they are, what they are. So how is it possible then to be justified by that which we are under the curse of? Follow the logic. How is it possible? If you're going to be, want to be saved by the works of the law, how is it possible to be justified by that which we're under the curse of? It isn't possible. It isn't possible. And this is where the plan of God from eternity past comes in. This is where the Lord's love and mercy and grace is manifest. Look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Verse 13 brings the cross into view. We're talking about the cross this morning and for the several of our message recently. The Lord is always bringing the cross into view. He's always bringing into view what we are and what he is and bringing into view his plan to redeem us. And because Christ was made a curse for us by hanging on the tree of the cross of Calvary in our place, Romans 10.4 gives us the good news that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Every time I read this 13th verse, I think about that song that Philip Bliss wrote. Free from the law, O happy condition. Jesus hath bled, and there is remission, cursed by the law, cursed by the law, and bruised by the fall. 
Grace hath redeemed us once for all. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. And now we can enter into the the last part of verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. But I want to ask you a question tonight. Whose faith? The just shall live by faith. But whose faith? Your faith? My faith? The answer is neither. Not my faith and not your faith. And the reason is that our faith, human faith, is plagued by fear and doubt. We see it in the lives of God's people all through this book. We see it in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Look back at Genesis chapter 15, if you will. We're not going to go through the whole Bible tonight, so you don't have to worry. Uh, We're just going to look at a few examples. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1 After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, And lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. That's the promise of God. Did Abraham believe it? Yes, he did. Romans 4.20 tells us that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but rather was strong in faith. Abraham was strong in faith. But folks, the faith, the strong faith of a man, even a man like Abraham has an element of doubt. And we see that doubt given into in chapter 16 and verse 1. And Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. Abraham was strong in faith. But his faith, like the faith of every one of us 
has an element of doubt. Look over at chapter 17. Chapter 17 and verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. This was God's original plan. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. There's the promise of God again. And Romans 4 and verse 20 still applies. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but rather was strong in faith. But again, the strong faith of a man, even a man like Abraham, has an element of doubt, and we see that here. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abram's not the only one that laughed because of what God told him and because of he and Sarah's age. Look across the page at chapter 18. Here the Lord appears to Abraham. Notice what we read beginning in verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Here again is the promise of God concerning the birth of Isaac. The Lord gave uh, Abraham, his name back in chapter 17 and verse 19. But notice again what happens. Hebrews 11 and verse 11 tells us that through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. But Sarah's faith, like Abraham's faith, had an element of doubt. Look at verse 11. This is the source of the doubt. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Abraham laughed at the promise of God. Sarah laughed at the promise of God because their faith, even though it was a strong faith, had a measure of doubt, as human faith does. Their doubt went to the natural course of, of their lives, their age. Abraham said, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Sarah said, After I am old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? 
Human faith is always weak. It's plagued with fear and doubt. Look over at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Now we're looking at this from our perspective tonight. Exodus chapter 14. Hebrews 11 and verse 29 says that by faith they, that's the children of Israel, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Now look at Exodus 14, verse 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them, the children of Israel, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pahiaroth before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were full of faith. <laughs> it's not what it says, is it? And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. Folks, the words here in verse 10 make the point that we need to see. And they were sore afraid. And so when we put Hebrews eleven twenty nine and Exodus 14, 10 together, look at what the Spirit of God teaches us. Hebrews eleven twenty nine by faith they passed through the dread sea as by dry land. Exodus 14, 10, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. Notice, faith and fear are running side by side in the lives of these people. It's like that with us. It's like that with me. Faith and fear running side by side. Fear is what makes human faith weak. Faith is what plagues us with doubt. And it's not just the children of Israel that are exhibiting faith and fear. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. These are words of great faith. Fear ye not, stand still. That is the first attitude which faith takes in the presence of trial. Fear not, stand still. Now look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Now when is Moses crying to the Lord for help? When is he crying to the Lord in distress? That's what this word criest means. 
Moses is crying out to the Lord for help. He's crying to the Lord in distress right in the midst of these great words of faith. In verse 13 and 14, because here is Moses and what's happening. Faith and fear are running side by side in his life. And it happens that way in our lives. And it's fear that makes human faith weak. It's fear that that causes us to doubt. And it happens even in the life of a man of God like Moses. We see it in the life of David. God, because of Saul's rebellion and disobedience, had rejected Saul from being king. And he had taken the kingdom of Israel and he had given it to David. Samuel went and anointed David to be king over Israel. And David was going to be king. And yet, after sparing Saul's life for a second time, and hearing Saul say to him, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. And those are not just the words of Saul. That is the promise of God to David. And faith should take hold of that. And yet, what do we read in the very next verse? 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Saul's going to kill me. I'm not going to be king. He's going to continue to be king. I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. There it is. Faith and fear running side by side. With fear weakening faith and plaguing faith with doubt. One more example in the New Testament. It's John the Baptist. John, who went before the Lord Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. John, who was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. He was the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John was the fulfillment of that. John. It's John who identifies the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, identifies the Lord Jesus as the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament sacrifices. It's John who baptized the Lord Jesus and saw the Spirit descending and remaining on him and bear record that this is the Son of God. John, what a man of faith. But then it's the same John who's put in prison. He's put in prison by Herod for telling him that it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And John in the prison sends two of his disciples to the Lord Jesus with this question. 
Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Now, how could this man who identified the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God, how could this man who bore record that this is the Son of God now doubt that he was? Because faith and fear, faith and fear were running side by side in John's life. And folks, faith and fear run side by side in the life of every child of God. And so that brings us back to Galatians chapter 3, if you'll turn back there. It brings us back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. And Paul's statement, for the just shall live by faith. It brings us back to our question, whose faith? Whose faith? Not the faith of men. Even great men of faith. So whose faith? Look back a page at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Notice these next words. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ. The just. And what does it mean to be just? It means to be justified. That's what it means. And so the just, the justified, shall live by faith. And whose faith are the just going to live by? It's there in these words. And we see them twice in this verse. The Spirit of God doesn't want us to miss them. By the faith of Christ. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Look at verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 16 tells us that we are saved by the faith of Jesus Christ. And verse 20 tells us that we are to live by the faith of the Son of God. And what is the faith of Jesus Christ? What is the faith of the Son of God? It is the faith that he has in himself. It is the fact that what he has promised and there hath not failed one word of all his good promise. It is the fact that what he has promised he is able to perform. That verse, by the way, follows 
Romans 4 and verse 20, where we read that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. Now, why? Why does it say that? Because Abraham didn't have faith in himself. His faith was in Christ. And he knew that what God had promised, what he had promised to do, he would do. That's the faith of Jesus Christ. And there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning in God's faith in himself. There's not one iota of doubt in the faith faith of Jesus Christ. And it begins with salvation, with the faith of Christ. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. And it continues in the life that we live in the flesh. We're to live by the faith of the Son of God. This is why Paul said, In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able, not Paul, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The faith of the Son of God is why Paul said in Philippians 1, 6, being confident, there is no confidence in our faith Because fear runs alongside of it. And one minute we're in faith mode and one minute we're in fear mode. I'm struggling with this right now. I'll just be honest with you. As I look ahead to March the 14th, here's these two things, faith and fear. And I'm waffling between the two. I don't want you to think that I get up here and I'm preaching to you and these things are just as as going on in my life. No, (laughs) no. There is no confidence in our faith because of the fear that runs alongside of it. But fear and doubt are not in the faith of the Son of God. Never. And living by the faith of the Son of God, we can enter into that according to this verse, Galatians 2.20, on the death side of the cross. On the death side of the cross. Paul said, this is how he could say, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he that hath begun a good work in you, will perform it. That's the faith of Christ until the day of Jesus Christ. For the just shall live by faith. If we're saved tonight, we're just. We've been justified by the faith of Christ. And it takes us back to this verse that just seems to pop up everywhere we go. Colossians 2.6 As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. 
and the way that we are to walk in him is there in Galatians 2.20. The life that we now live in the flesh, we're to live by the faith of the Son of God. Not our faith. For the just shall live by faith. Whose faith are we living by tonight? Our own? Talking about Christians. Our own? On the life side of the cross in fear and in doubt? Or by the faith of the Son of God? On the death side of the cross? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful book of Galatians that, that brings these critical issues before us. Before us, not, not just before the Galatians, but before us to think about, to consider. The just shall live by faith, but whose faith? The faith of the Son of God. We pray that that would be our portion tonight, moment by moment, as we live in this world. As we face whatever lies before us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.